Good morning, everyone. We are uh, uh, this morning. I got an email, and I usually don't check my email on Sunday morning. And I read the email, and uh, God just stopped me right in my tracks, and I had to pray. And I have not been able to get that email out of my mind. And only, only one other time, God brought this really uncomfortable sense of conviction in my heart. And give me a second. You know, we're, uh, we're going to forget Hebrews this morning. And instead, we are, we're going to look at some verses in Ephesians. And I want to start out in Ephesians chapter 3. This may be a very short message because this is, this is totally um, really uncomfortable for me. Not, not the subject and topic so much. Uh, the email was about uh, suffering Christians and missionaries in the Ukraine right now. And uh, only one other time did God put this type of, uh, I don't know, I can't say conviction because it's not sin, deeply impressed upon me that everything that I had prepared to preach on Sunday morning was off the table and something else had to be preached. Um, absolutely scary at this moment because I do not know where it is going to go, but in the one time God has done this to me in the past, uh, I was honored to follow his will, even though it is incredibly uncomfortable and totally unprepared, and um, my weakness is definitely going to be abundant, and it's going to show, but I feel so impressed to speak about this this morning from God's Word that I trust He's leading me rightly. In fact, I, I totally put it out of my mind. I got in this morning, and uh, Logan said something to me, and it was the buzzword that God was convicting me about, and I thought, if I think enough, I can just put it out of my mind and I won't have to worry about it, uh, but um, I just have to follow God this morning in this way. Uh, may take me a second or two. <laughs> may take me a second or two to find the verses in Ephesians, but I know they're here, so bear with me. But I do know where we're starting, and that's in Ephesians chapter three, verse thirteen. Ephesians three thirteen. So anything, yeah, no slides. This is, there's no way that you're going to be able to make these slides up on the fly. So verse 13 of Ephesians 3. Now to set the context, Paul, at this time as he's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, which he started as a missionary, he is in prison in Rome. So he's a prisoner. Now he's under house arrest, but he knows that his days are numbered and that he's going to be killed martyred for his faith. He knows that. 
But in the meantime, he is pumping out letter after letter after letter in order to encourage the believers because he doesn't know how long he's got. And the book of Ephesians is filled with these encouragements. And he says in verse 13, I think to start us this morning, he says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul says, don't lose heart. Don't worry about me. Don't think that the world is collapsing around me. I'm doing this for your glory, for your good. And two things are immediately impressing here. One, that Paul can be lighthearted almost about the suffering that he's going to endure under the pain of Rome, martyrdom, death, torn apart by lions, however he's going to be put to death. It's got to be stressful in his life, but he's not thinking about himself. In fact, he's very clearly thinking about other believers to the point of don't worry about Paul. Don't worry about what he's suffering. Don't worry about how he's going to die. Don't worry about how he's being mistreated. Don't worry about how scary it might be around him. Don't worry about that. There is something far better, something really good to think about in a moment like this, and it is glory. This display of God's absolute perfection both here and in eternity. Think about the scope of these small, light, temporary trials. Even trial by death and martyrdom is nothing compared to the glory of God. It is nothing compared to being with Him. And Paul says numerous times in numerous ways, far better to be in God with His glory. Even if I suffer death and trial in this world, it doesn't matter. This is so small. It is so temporary. It is a blip on the map of eternity compared to God's glory. This trial, this suffering, this martyrdom, pain, evil, and wickedness is nothing compared to glory. See, I guess Paul could have said to the church at Ephesus, you guys got to rally around me. You guys have got to protest. You guys have got to come out with arms. You guys have got to fight this injustice. This is terrible how I am suffering. But instead of putting the focus on, oh, poor is me, he puts the focus exactly where it needs to be, on God's glory. And Paul says, doesn't he say here, Don't lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul knows that this small thing that he's enduring is for the betterment of all believers. How in the world is that possible? How is Paul's suffering good for the believers at Ephesus? How is the suffering of the Ukrainian Christians today good for us? How is that possible? I think it's possible for this one simple reason. In our weakness, Paul's weakness, in the Ukrainian Christian's weakness, God is glorified. Because they bow their knees, and I'm sure they are praying harder than they ever did before. If we were facing that type of persecution, I am sure we would be praying harder than we ever did before. We would be more reliant upon Jesus. We would be humble. We would be full of loving kindness towards other believers. We would share. We would be united. Just as the Father and the Son dwell in perfect unity, suffering 
brings the Christians to unity. Not to get strength, not to handle it together, but knowing that together we're reliant upon only one thing, the mercy and grace of God. Suffering produces pains in this life, yes, the loss of life even, but it also produces dependence upon God because there is no one else that can answer the cries of his children when suffering but God alone. And Paul knows that this moment of suffering that he's facing will do one thing for the believer, unite them in humility before God, and that brings nothing but glory to God, praise to God, honor to God. And in doing so, we ourselves receive comfort. Earlier on in the first chapter, Verse 18. Let me just start in verse 15 because 15 through uh, 18 are almost one, one sentence. Ephesians 1. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is Paul who is about to be martyred, and his concern is not on himself. I think this is so important to remember, so important to get into our mind. Our suffering, the Ukrainian Christian suffering, and the suffering of Christians anywhere, that's not the focus. Paul is other-focused. He says, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glory, inheritance in the saints? I, I think verse 18 in particular is a point of prayer. How do we pray for the believers that are suffering? How do we pray for anyone who is suffering? How do we pray for people who are being martyred, dragged out of their homes and shot? How do we pray for them? I think verse 18 gives us the key. Not that they'd be saved from the suffering. Not that they would rise up and overcome the evil. God's got that taken care of. Paul says the focus of our prayers for them should be this. One, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Realizing perspective in this moment. Being able to truly take a breath and go, there's something bigger going on here. It's not just about land or history or property or who's going to win. Something bigger is going on. So I think we need to be diligently praying that when people are going through suffering, that we pray that their eyes of their hearts, that their understanding would be clear about this next thing. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Has he called us all to hope in Christ? Absolutely. When do we start displaying that hope? All the time but especially in times where it feels we are hopeless and powerless. 
That is when we give up and say, I have no hope in myself. I have no hope in others. I have hope only in you. And to pray specifically for those who are suffering, that they would have a clear understanding of hope. Not hope that it would be easier in this life, but hope that God would bring them through these trials triumphantly and with incredible resolve. That they would be able to stand to the testimony, stand to evil and say, the Lord is my rock and my salvation. It doesn't matter what man does to me. You cannot change the relationship I have with God through Christ. What can separate the Ukrainian Christians from the love of God? What can separate them? What can destroy that relationship? Nothing. Nothing can. So why not pray for them, specifically that they would be enlightened and encouraged in that hope? Ultimately, the hope of the resurrection. They're dying. That's what they need next, is the hope of the resurrection. And it's not a mere, I wish that happened, or about 80% chance that it might happen. Hope, in a biblical sense, is a certainty and confidence of belief. It is like faith. I believe God will do this and accomplish it. So if you want to know how to pray for them, if you want to know how to pray for anyone that's suffering, pray that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened and that they may know the hope to which he has called you. And what are the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints? Knowing that the Christian life, the end of that, the culmination of it, the fulfillment of it is absolutely breathtakingly amazing to where we can't describe it in words. The beauty of it, the peace of it, the joy of it, the contentment of it, the safety of it, the protection of it. We can't express in human terms what heaven will be like. It always falls short of that final expectation. But we can pray towards that end, that they do not lose hope. Paul says something similar later on in Ephesians. Ephesians 3, 14. Ephesians 3, 14. Paul says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Notice that's the third time he's talked about prayer. Praying for them before in verse 13, praying in chapter 1, and praying again in verse 14 of chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named the relationship, that according, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. When people are suffering, when people are in the midst of trials, when people are at wit's end and they have no idea where to turn, praying that God would bring them strength 
is necessary. It's good. It's a great prayer to pray for someone when they say, I'm going through this, or I don't know how to do this, or this is tough. Pray that God would fill them with strength. And not the strength to resist, but the strength to be resolved, to be firm, to be unwavering in their testimony, to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, to be built in that, to be settled in that, to be firmly founded on that, the rock of my salvation, to firmly know the truth, to be uncompromising in that conviction that God is good and that his glory matters more than my comfort. Strengthened with that resolve. And Paul prays to that end. He bows his knees before the Father that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your innermost being so that every individual fiber of your being would cry out, holy, holy, holy. That every moment where you feel like This is the last moment of desperation. God pumps you again with his spirit, reminding you that you are his. Reminding you that his love is beyond immense. In fact, not only can we pray that they would have great strength reliant upon the Spirit of God for His glory. But we can pray even as we read through in verse 17 and following so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What a comfort it is to know that even though life may be fleeting and painful in its execution, scary in those moments, Yet Christ is always present. You know, he tells us as he's ascending into heaven that he'll never leave us or forsake us. That he's always present and he sends his spirit to be that comforter on our behalf. That being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18 and 19, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Imagine if we're in the midst of suffering, the midst of trial and pain, the midst of, oh no, this might be my last day, oh no, what will happen to my family, my children, my parents, that the overwhelming thought in your mind is how amazingly big God's love for you is. And I think Paul is praying to that end. This whole section of verses started with him bowing his knees that they would have strength and resolve through his spirit and that they would have a better understanding of how wildly huge God's love is for his children. that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
If the fullness of God is filling you, if love is filling you, then there is no room, no room at all in your mind, in your thinking, or your heart for anxiety, worry, fear, anger, hatred, or revenge. All there is is room for love. Love is not going to stop a tank, all right? Love is not going to stop the bombing. Love is not going to stop the raping and murdering. Love is not going to stop that. Paul's not in the business of stopping the suffering or the trials. Paul is in the business of telling us how God deals with it in our lives, focusing upon love. Oh, Tim, that's starting to sound kind of hippie, right? I mean, come on. I'm not talking free love. I'm talking the love of God. Totally different. Satisfying. Meaningful. True. And it lasts way through death. It lasts way through heaven. It lasts way through eternity. It is a forever characteristic of his children. Love. And Paul prays that these Christians in Ephesus, who one day themselves would come under the rule of Nero and be martyred, that they would remember, oh, Paul prays that I would have hope. Paul prays that I would have strength and an understanding. And Paul prays that love would dominate my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, my hopes, my dreams. Love! Because when you focus on something that is unbelievably complex and deep, you're never going to exhaust thinking about God's love. You're never going to get to a point where you go, I got it. Yeah, love. You never will because at every turn, God demonstrates his love to you. Every moment, he forgives you. Every moment, he brings you to the next breath. Every moment, he gives you another remembrance of his word. He's loving on you. Every single time you utter a prayer to God, help. He's demonstrating you've got someone up here that can help you. It's because I love you. But why do you love me? I failed. I've forgotten. I've been fearful. I've been anxious. I've been angry. I've been vindictive. I want to pay back. And I think it reminds us of the greatest act of love ever. In Isaiah 53, it tells us that Jesus was in a very similar situation, enduring suffering. Wrongfully accused? Absolutely. Evil intentions of those persecuting him? Absolutely. Painful? My goodness, when I get a splinter, my whole life stops and the whole family knows I've got a splinter. I could imagine a crown of thorns. Right? Scary? I've got no idea what it's like to be whipped and crucified. No clue. Mocked? Spit upon? Hit? And God tells us, in Isaiah 53, he was like a lamb led to slaughter and didn't say a word. 
Oh, Jesus must have had some kind of resolve. What a, what a strong character of, you know, a stoic understanding of, I can handle this. No. In his flesh, he was like us, absolutely human. Felt every pain, felt every weakness, felt everything we would feel in that situation, except he was absolutely perfect in his confidence that God loves him. His only begotten son. And knew that that pain and suffering would lead to one thing, Ultimately, God's glory. God's glory. God's amazing, magnificent, radiant glory and praise. He knew it would lead to those Ukrainian Christians falling on their knees and praying for salvation. He knew that it would lead to us in our sufferings, praying to God, saying, help. I can't do it. I don't understand it. It hurts. Every single moment, walking to that cross, quietly accepting the Lord's will for his life without complaint or frustration, knowing that it led to the glorification of God's love in your heart, in my heart, in every believer that has ever been, is, or will be, knowing that it magnified and grew the kingdom of God, like nothing else. That they might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a prayer. What a way to pray for people. What a way to just enlighten and expand our appreciation for God when we pray that love would abound, that their love would be stronger, that their prayers would be more fervent, that their dependence upon God would be more gratifying. Not that they would be more stoic and able to handle it. No but that as they went through it, love would abound. And I know, lastly, uh, Paul talks about at the very end of Ephesians 6, this magnificent, mighty application of all this. Uh, you know, at the end of chapter 6, he talks about the whole armor of God, you know, needing um, uh, the word of God, the breastplate, and all of these things in order to accomplish God's calling in his life. And he says at the very end of chapter 6, right before he gets to his greetings, verse 19 and 20, uh, actually verse 18. Uh, okay, yes, 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That's for us. And maybe that's for us today. Not some future, oh, pray for the, pray for the uh, saints in uh, the Ukraine that are suffering. I think Paul's saying that to us today. You hear of all this suffering, you see this all suffering, you see the war on TV, what do we do with that? We go, oh, thank God it's not us. 
but uh oh, maybe it will be one day. And so we start to worry and get fearful. Paul says at times like that, pray in the Spirit with all supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then he says this, and also for me. Okay? That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I've always been amazed at those two verses. What amazes me is it's Paul asking for prayer that he'd be bold in witnessing. Now, if you know anything about Paul, he is always bold. You read the book of Acts and you're going, oh my goodness, he was just almost stoned to death, he goes back. What? He's told to be quiet or they'll kill him. And he preaches louder and stronger. He goes into a totally pagan town ruled by idols and witchcraft, and he preaches the gospel in an open square, and he gets everyone upset because they're losing business because they're not selling enough idols anymore. And they blame Paul. And they want to murder him. He gets shipwrecked. He gets beaten. He has to hide and run away, but he goes right back to preaching. This is the same Paul that says, hey guys, if you want to pray for me, this is the one thing you need. What do you need, Paul? Boldness. I need boldness. Paul needs boldness? Oh my word, what do we need then? If Paul needs boldness, and he's an example of a missionary and church planter and Christ witnesser, to an extreme. What do we need? What do the Christians in Ukraine need? Same thing that Paul needed. Boldness. Not a stoic attitude of I can handle it, I'm going to... No, a boldness. To do what? To speak the mysteries of the gospel, to speak about sin and how damaging it is and how full of damnation it is and how it separates you from God, to speak boldly that judgment is coming. You will be held accountable for your thoughts, your actions, your sin. And to speak boldly that the way to resolve that is not through self-help and doing better next time. It's through falling on your knees before God saying, save me, for I am a wretched sinner, and outside of your mercy and grace, I will never make it right to you. Paul needed boldness to do that. Today, it was super easy for us to sing God's praises, super comfortable to hear these words, and it's going to be just as comfortable and easy on your way home. We live in a blessed land at a blessed time. No guarantee it will always be that, but it is today. It's not for the Christians in the Ukraine. 
I'm going to ask the elders and uh, anyone who serves for the Gideons, because you guys were the ones who uh, pushed this for me this morning. Dan, you're going to come up. Ron? Sam? Gary? Jim? Any other uh, uh, Gideons that have served? Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask that uh, we close in prayer asking for three things. First, that we ask that the Christians in the Ukraine get strengthened. Secondly, that they would just have an abounding sense of God's love. And thirdly, that they would have boldness to speak of the mysteries of the gospel, that they would be Christ witnesses. And um, is this mic on here, back? Wow. That, is this mic back here on is what I actually meant to say. <laughs> Sam, I'm going to ask you to just open in prayer, and if you would pray for the other two things and then I'll close us in prayer and as I close in prayer myself I'll the band come up and close us thank you so much morning real quickly I just want to share the email Kim has talked about when I said, when I read it, it uh, really hit home and I had to send it. But just remember, uh, the Gideon ministry is supported faithfully by Calvary and all of you, and we thank you. In Ukraine, we have 211 camps over there, and we've handed out four, uh, 46 million Bibles. So God is present in, U in Ukraine, and when he's present, those are our brothers and sisters over there. I want to share real quick. Urgent prayer request comes this morning from the Assembly of Ukraine, written by a missionary who is an elder in a local assembly there, from Timothy and Rhonda Sloan. This is, this is quite possibly our last means of correspondence for some time. War is here, and the consequences dreadful. A state of emergency has been declared, and this will be followed by martial law. Young Ukrainian men from 16 years of age are being called up to serve in the military, and Ukrainians are given the rights to bear arms. A major cyber attack is happening just now, and we write which has affected Ukrainian banks as well as government websites. Ukrainian citizens are being asked to urgently leave Russia, and our local currency is in freefall. Rhonda and I are not leaving. How can we? An elder in the assembly, many responsibility is to shepherd all our, at all times. It would be terrible testimony to give up and to leave luckless believers. We have been preparing for this day. Rhonda and I have brought in generators, food, and fuel, and we would like to turn the gospel hall into a place of shelter to accommodate and feed assembly believers who will face many hardships. God is about to give us a great opportunity to show our Christian faith practice, practically out of, our, out of, uh, out of uh, our apartment. We have central headquarters and Ukraine police around us. 
As we close, the military jets can be heard overhead, and we covet your prayers. We are not braver than you, but confident we are where God would expect us to be. Daniel 4.17. Let us pray. Father God, I, we humbly come before you, mighty God, and ask you for your protection, your provision, and your passionate love and mercy and compassion on this dire situation. We are nothing without you. Keep us steadfast, faithful in prayer for our sisters and brothers in Ukraine. All this we lift up to you this morning. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You know, before, uh, before I pray, you know, I really want to thank Tim for being open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize how awesome that is? And did you hear the, the amens when you shared that, Tim? That is, uh, that is so powerful for us to observe and see and to be able to hopefully demonstrate in our own lives. So let's go on now and continue. Father, we just lift up each of those in the Ukraine and that surrounding area who are your children. Father, we're asking that you would give them boldness. This is the time for them to stay put and reach out, showing the love of Christ to their neighbors, demonstrating what you have done with them. And so, Father, we're asking that you give them, in the face of this evil, a tremendous boldness and love that can carry on country of Ukraine. In Jesus' name. Father, I also pray that out of your infinite, excuse me, infinite supply of strength, uh, so much that we can't imagine, think, or dream that is there, that out of that you would strengthen brothers and sisters in Ukraine in their inner person that their faith through this terrible time would not be shaken that they could remain strong and know that you are theirs Father with all supplications and prayers we ask for boldness that the Ukrainians suffering would be boldly able to proclaim your mercy, your forgiveness, your goodness, and your son. Give them strength. Make your love abundantly clear to them. And for your glory, may they live their life to the fullest to Christ's end. In his name, all of God's children said, Amen. Would you guys rise with us as we sing this last song?